are thrilled to have the institutional fundraising platform Instrumental join us as a multi-episode sponsor in Season 5. Instrumental CEO Gary Monglick has created a mini-series of grant tips to help you be more efficient and strategic in your grant seeking. Listen in on today's tidbit. So how can you find national grant funders that are the best fit when all you've ever gotten so far is local grant funding? You can certainly find national funders on Instrumental uh, just by setting up your project and getting matched to those relevant opportunities where there is that strong mission alignment. In terms of advice for pursuing national funders, if all you've ever gotten is local funding, it is more difficult because there is more competition. Um, But if you already have gotten local funding, that's great. You're more fundable and you may be ready to pursue national funders. You'll still want to make sure that there's strong mission alignment. You want to see if there's a relationship that you can build. You might want to focus more on building a presence for those national funders. And you'll also want to make sure that whatever you're doing is scalable or replicable at a national scale and and be able to provide more um, data and impact metrics uh, for those national funders. To find out more, check out instrumental.com. Use coupon code HEYDAY50 for $50 off the first month of Instrumental. That's I-N-S-T-R-U-M-E-N-T-L dot com. Well, hello there. I'm Kimberly Hayes de Muga. And I'm Amanda Day. And you're listening to Season 5 of the Fundraising Heyday Podcast. We're here to help you make sense of the complex world of grant writing and fundraising, whether you work for a nonprofit, local government, or a consultant who serves them. On Fundraising Heyday, we're going to cover the basics, the how-tos, but we also want to explore the whys of things. Why do things happen? Why is that bear in the forest? And why maybe should you poke that bear sometimes, particularly (laughs) when it comes to things in the world of philanthropy? Yes, and as always, we're doing the asking of whys with our help of experts in the field and our particular brand of entertainment. And um, man, last episode, we hit the trifecta. We had singing, we had cheesy sound effects, and y'all was said more than once. So I make no promises, but... No, uh, we just got to let it flow, see what happens. So let's get on to today's topic. This podcast is brought to you by our Season 5 sponsor, D.H. Leonard Consulting and Grant Writing Services. Don't let grants stress you out. Their team can help you with grant readiness and training, grant research, grant writing, mock review, as well as providing numerous DIY resources, guides, and templates. Did you know that with every fundraising heyday episode, We create a coordinating blog post on their website, dhleonardconsulting.com. Check it out today. Okay, seeing as how this is a podcast, we spend a lot of time talking because, Um, hello, format. Definition of podcast. (laughs) So today we're talking about doing. And by that, I mean, we're talking about the steps you can take to improve the balance of power between funders and grant seekers or fundraisers. Um, Because as much as we love a good rant, if there's no follow through, then the same rant inducing cycles are just going to continue on and on and nothing is ever going to change. And we really want that change to happen. It's true. Um, And I mean, it's true. I think uh, getting things off your chest and ranting is 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 very very important. But then if you, 
never take steps, even the tiniest little baby step to change something. Even the, after a while, just the juiciest rant is going to lose its flavor, much like a fine piece of gum. And um, if all you do is rant, nothing ever changes. But change is challenging and it's scary to a lot of us. And sometimes it is a lot easier to just bitch about something a whole, whole lot and not do anything about it. Mm-hmm. I live in that in that country a lot. Um, especially if you can, right? Because you some on some level you realize you know something's very wrong, but it doesn't hit you as hard. Um, or you may think, oh well, change is the right thing to do, but you don't want to lose your standing or your job or something or the opinions of others over it. I mean, yeah, I get it to a certain extent, but there are a lot of people that don't even have that to hide behind when it comes to change. So just putting Very that true. out there. Well, and it can be a slippery slope. If you see something wrong, but you don't speak up or say something about it, then you do kind of become part of the problem, right? So yep, yep. Um, Kimberly and I have been hosting grant ethics bingo at regional regional grant conferences and webinars for the Grant Professionals Association. Um And the perils of staying silent is a running theme behind several of the scenarios we talk about in these um, sessions, um, because discovering and reporting inconsistencies or policy violations and other things that may have been explained to you as, but we've always done it that way and nobody cares. It's fine. It's fine. Yeah. And let me tell you, if there's a phrase I hate more than any other in the grant world, it's that, but we've always done it that way. (sighs) That's not an excuse. That's not a reason, people. But I digress. Um, If you find there are some issues and you have done nothing about it, then you're part of the problem, right? You're keeping that issue alive and strong and going and that's that's not what I'm here for that's not what Kimberly's here for hopefully that's not what you're here for right I'm completely not here I'm not here for a lot these days but I'm sure not here for that but I would also say a lot of the things that we talk about especially when it comes to DEI if you're not a person of color it might feel like oh well that doesn't apply to me because really it's about actually it does. It just applies in a different way. And a lot of the inequities that we talk about in philanthropy and fundraising and grant seeking in general are systemic and affect all people, but have a much larger effect on people of color who are leading or in leadership of um, nonprofits and other organizations that are eligible for funding. So it does yeah. affect us all. A poorly thought out grant cycle or a really ridiculous application or 154 pages for $10,000, that knows no color. That is just really, really bad mm-hmm. fundraising outreach. However, it does in a way just because of the country we live in, because the people who are probably um generally generally speaking people of color who are leading smaller grassroots organizations are going to be disproportionately affected by that because of the amount of work it takes so that's that's what we're kind of talking about but i know we're really uh doing pretty good in problems right now we probably don't need to add a whole lot of problems we have a giant stinky pile of doom problems right now but i just want to um offer, and Amanda and I together want to offer, some little shining rays of hope. Very true. I like shining rays of hope. Shining rays of hope. 
Okay, so the first one we'd like to offer up is a dedicated group um, within the Georgia Grant Professionals Association. And full disclosure, this is mine and Kimberly's local chapter, the Grant Professionals Association. Um, But they created a group called the Funder Equity Task Force. Um, We hope in the future to be able to interview some of the folks that folks that were instrumental in making this task force happen and getting some of the work done. Um, but for now, we just we want to get the word out about what they're doing. So it's a success story, one you may be able to build upon with a group of your own, right? Um, so I was able to attend their presentation on the work they've done to date uh, um, during the Southern Regional Grant Conference back in April um, and got to learn more about what all they've got going on. So I want to hit some of the highlights. Um, and really, this is just a, a group of people within the chapter. They wanted to start making some change as far as the work that funders are doing. Mm. Um, and they decided, hey, just one person complaining to funders is not going to cut it. We, as a collective group, we have such a much stronger voice. Um, so over a year ago, they put this group together. Um, the organization, they meet monthly, um, and it's led not by the chapter itself, like it's not the president of the chapters leading it, because the president of the chapter already has a lot of work to do. So within the organ, the group of people that decided to join this task force, which it was open to anybody who wanted to join, um, they pulled um, leadership from within there, and they decided from the get-go to go with the co-chair model, so it's not all on one person. Um And they also, they did have um, some connection to the chapter, Um, the task force. There was Mm -hmm. one of the board members was on the the group as part Mm -hmm. of the group, just so there was some continuity between the work of the chapter and the work of this task force. Um, So that's kind of how they set it up. They met monthly over Zoom. Um, They created an online file. I think they used Dropbox or Google Drive, something Something like that, to share all the resources that they've been collecting over the time. Um, And they decided to um, set up everything based on the principles of community-centric fundraising. Um, Voulet of Nonprofit AF was instrumental in founding this now worldwide organization that is based on 10 different principles. Um, and the task force really went over these principles because it really was the, the ground force that they wanted to follow as they were working on, um, the stuff they were doing. So mm-hmm. I'm just going to go over real quick what these 10 are, because I think they're important for us to know and remind ourselves of them. Um, the first is that fundraising must be grounded in race, equity, and social justice. Number two, individual organizational missions are not as important as the collective community. And I think this is something super important for grant professionals. We can be so stuck on, got to get money for my organization, got to get my organization funded, got to get my organization funded, that you aren't thinking about what's the good of the collective community at large, right? And so there may be some grants that maybe you shouldn't be going for. Maybe another organization that maybe is a smaller organization or a grassroots organization or who knows what, right? Maybe you should be lending your expertise to them because in the long run, it's going to be better for your community as a whole that they get the funding, not your own organization. So just something to think about there. Um, Number three, nonprofits are generous with and mutually supportive of one another. Okay, so more of this, let's all play nice in the sandbox rather than competing against each other. Collaboration is a beautiful thing. Um, Number four, all who engage in strengthening the community are equally valued, whether they are a volunteer, 
a staff member, a donor, or a board member. And I really love this because it can be very easy. I think the, the traditional model is board members are exalted above all else. Meanwhile, you know, there's some volunteers that give way more of their time and talent than potentially a board member, right? We all know that board member who's on there, their name's on the stuff, but really, do they do a whole lot? Not, and don't get me wrong, there are some board members who work their tails off. I'm not saying they're not. But I do like this idea of everybody who is trying to make things better we're all equal. It's not, oh, well, the board members are up here and the staff are down at the bottom kind of a thing. Um, number five, time is valued equally as money. Okay. Um, because we all know having someone who spends their time and gives of their talent, sometimes that's worth way more than a donation check, depending on what the needs of your organization is. Um, number six, we treat donors as partners. And this means that we are transparent and occasionally have difficult conversations. Number seven, we foster a sense of belonging, not othering. Number eight, we promote the understanding that everyone, and that's going to include donors, staff, funders, board members, and volunteers, that we all personally benefit from engaging in the work of social justice. It's not just charity and compassion. Number nine, we see the work of social justice as holistic and transformative, not transactional. And number 10, we recognize that healing and liberation requires a commitment to economic justice. So those are the 10 principles that um, go with um, community-centric fundraising. And that's what this task force decided that they were going to base their work off of those 10 principles as well. Um, so the task force, they de developed a list of priorities and activities that they wanted to have happen. Um, and decided that their first one was going to be a town hall meeting style. So not a meet the funders. It was not intended to be a, hey, funders, come and tell us how we can jump through all your hoops and hopefully get money from you. But rather more of a conversation between funders and grant seekers and fundraisers um, so that we have a, an opportunity to kind of back and forth and let funders know like, hey, while we appreciate the great work you're doing in communities and we appreciate the funding you're doing, there are things that you're doing that maybe isn't best for the community at whole and vice versa, right? There was an opportunity for maybe the funders to tell fund seekers like, Hey, here's not just like, Hey, here's our requirements, but Hey, in a, you know, a broad sense of the word, this is the work we're trying to get done together. Um, so that was the idea that it was going to be um, this town hall, hall type meeting. Um, I will tell you during their presentation, they said, um, Folks were pretty quiet. It was almost like, because I think we are as fund seekers, Kimberly, I know it's really hard to look a funder in the eye and be like, your application is sucks. Well, it yeah. sucks. <laughs> I can't imagine saying that to a funder. And I'm trying to, well, I, trying just, to be, I just, just I I, to say that, right? I just lived that moment and it was, oh, oh. it felt good though. But that, you it's, know, not, it's, it's, it's nice not, to say on the podcast when we're just speaking it out in, in generalities versus going, hey, you specific funder. Do you realize that your portal stinks because Sucks. blah, 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 right? Or do you realize it took me, you know, a lot of, heck, I've been on a webinar before where, where after the funder went through all the requirements, and this was like a small $20,000 or less grant, uh -huh. someone on that thing goes, do you realize how much time this is going to take us? And I'm sitting there thinking, oh, yeah, it's going to take a lot. And uh, the funder was like, oh, no, it should take you 10 hours or less. And I thought, yes. 10 hours? She has never. But can I just say 10 hours is a lot of time. 
is. And also, 10 hours was like, there's no way, especially if you were new to the grant world and had never submitted that that application before, it was going to take you probably 20, 30 hours to get all the attachments required. I mean, it was a lot of freaking work. And here was this brave soul saying, hey, y'all know this is a lot of time. And the funder's immediate response was, nah, only 10 hours. You know, so I, I applaud them for putting together this group. Um, I hope we can do it again, and I hope we can. I think that's in their plans. I mean, I think it they're, they're, it it's ongoing. It's ongoing. It is ongoing. Um, and so, but one of the, um, during the session when they were presenting it, someone in the audience was like, you know, you may be better off kind of almost stacking the room with consultants because as a consultant, if they don't know who our clients are, it's much easier for us to be able to say, Hey, here's issues versus, Hey, I'm Amanda and I work for this nonprofit and here's my problem with y'all. There's always that, you know, fear of, Oh my gosh, now they're not going to fund us because I've said bad things. But as a consultant, you kind of have that, you have a little more wiggle room, I think, to be able to get away with some things. Just because if people don't know who your clients are, you're not hurting anybody. No, by that's true. Saying those things. So, um, so that that was their first step. They're certainly going to do more of those. The work is going to continue. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I for one, I love that here in Georgia, we've got a group of people that are have taken it upon themselves to go. <laughs> things things are not equitable, um, and we need to fix this. And so let's start out by having these conversations and seeing what we can do. So and if you follow um, the news, that's not what the news that usually comes out of Georgia, particularly right about now so it's like refreshing like a like an icy glass of tea on a hot summer day it is so um, and the nice thing about it is like most people in the grant world they're very happy to talk with others about what they've done to date how they've done it what their plans are for the future so if you would like to get in touch with the task force um the main email for the georgia chapter is G-G-P-A, as in Georgia Grant Professionals Association. So mm-hmm. G-G-P-A info, I-N-F-O, at gmail.com. So feel free to shoot an email and just say, hey, I heard about the task force on the uh, Fundraising Heyday podcast. Who can I talk to about this? And I am sure they will get you uh, connected with the right person. Because, again, the theme of this, um, as Amanda so adeptly uh, um, explained, but the theme of this whole podcast is – I. Some, sometimes when we're talking about DEI, I'll just use personal experience. Sometimes when I've been in the room where the discussion topic was DEI, there were a lot of folks who mainly looked like me um, who were like, well, what do I need to do? Well, we, I don't know what to do. Here's some things you can do. So we're giving you some examples. Here's some things. Here's some things. You're a part of a task force. You're planning educational webinars and, and, or you're, you're reaching out. And so each of the things that we mentioned today, and you know, and I'm an introvert, so I'm really not buying the oh, I'm an introvert, so I can't do it. That's like that. No, that's not true. You just find no. a way that works for you. So we're just giving examples of things, large, medium, and small, um, that you can do because I think that is one of the biggest questions that I've heard in groups, whether it's DEI training or not. It's like, well, that's a problem. Well. I don't know what to do. I need to ask. I'm like, nah, I think let's do some education (laughs) and let's try some things, you know, let's try some things and some things will work. You know, they got together, they planned this first task force. It was a meeting rather, excuse me, the first sort of uh, funder meeting and it, 
And there were some really good things about it and there were some lessons learned. So that doesn't mean that you just stop. It just It's just another place um, on the journey and maybe look at, yeah, maybe have somebody coming in there who's not afraid to be bad cop. I may know yeah. some people, but anyway, yeah. <laughs> so, um, now, oh, and I also, before we move on, um, we're, we're mentioning a couple of folks who have spearheaded some things that really got Amanda and I thinking about this when we launched this uh, podcast back in 2018. So we're revisiting, um, them. And one of them is oh, yeah. um, Foule, as Amanda mentioned, and he actually kicked off, um, our season two, the first two episodes, um, with a really great interview. And this was pre community centric fundraising, but the ideas and precepts are there and he's just funny as hell. So. Yeah. So, um, you, you know, if you want to get in the and, and listen, go back and listen to that. I think that would be great. Um, and someone else, um, we'll talk about him a little later, though. But and by the next- way, real quick, I was going to say, if you haven't noticed yet, dear listeners, when Kimberly's on fire about something, sometimes a little bit of the cuss bucket comes out, and it's coming out today. Nothing horrible, but you can you can tell when she's passionate about something. Oh, yeah, y'all, words come out. <laughs> you, you hadn't you haven't seen anything or heard anything. <laughs> Trust trust and i'm not even breaking out the spanish yet so that's probably a good thing too um so next up um i learned about this organization um and i couldn't remember exactly where and i do like to give my sources i'm gonna think it was either a tweet or a blog post from either vule or community-centric fundraising but i think it was vule um, and he mentioned this particular project. So I'm going to go with it was a tweet, right? He okay. mentioned this project. It was called Trust-Based Philanthropy. And I'm like, tell me more. So I go to their website. And on their website, they describe themselves as a five-year peer-to-peer funder initiative to address the inherent, empower- inherent power imbalances between foundations and nonprofits. And I'm like, really? Tell me more. And And so... I began to look at it and sort of examine their site. And when we're trying to dance around the fact that, oh my gosh, we don't want to go to a funder and go, hey, y'all's application process sucks. And by the way, what does your board look like? And by the way, what is your what do your operational costs look like? Huh? Which is really what I want to do a lot of the time. Um, but maybe it's even reading about, you about your this. staff with your grant funds. <laughs> I just, I don't even, I just, I, whoa. anyway, but, um, so this philanthropy, trust-based philanthropy project could just be a referral, could be a way to pass on information. Yeah. If you have a program officer that, you know, y'all are, you know, you might've pre pandemic, you might've had some lunch, maybe you still do or have coffee. Maybe this is an organization to say, hey, have you ever heard of them? I read about this the other day, and here's what they're doing. Because here's the twist. Oh, y'all wanted a twist? Here's the twist with this organization that I promise I'm not going to cuss about, but did give me pause for the cause. Um, they say on their website, it's peer-to-peer. So they're just, they're funder-to-funder. And I'm going to get to the other part of that in a minute. But here's what they they, they offer up. You know, they got four of this and six of that, but here's something that really caught my eye. Six steps they're offering to participating people, funders who want to do this. Six steps you can take. And again, this is um, on uh, trustbasedphilanthropy.org, their website. Give multi-year unrestricted funding. I'm like, ding, ding, ding. Um, do the homework because I, I'm gonna, I am going to read this because I was like, 
I think I love you. It says, oftentimes nonprofits have to jump through countless hoops just to be invited to submit a proposal. Trust-based philanthropy moves moves sort of the, the weight of that to grant makers, making it the funder's responsibility to get to know prospective grantees, saving nonprofits time in the early stages of the vetting process. Yes. Yes. <laughs> novel concept. Do you oh. So then, and then number three, simplify and streamline paperwork. Again, yes. Oh, my heavenly day. Be transparent and responsive. Come on through. Funders that do that, solicit and act on feedback. I would offer the caveat, don't be soliciting the feedback on the funding proposal because really, yeah, you know, that's like, you know, if, well, I'm not even going to get into that, but you know, if someone, if it should if, be an if, anonymous if, way people can give feedback. So we don't feel like and, and punished for, for oh, we didn't, oh, we didn't get funded probably because I told them their portal sucked. That's yeah, it's like, hey, can you give us $50,000? And I don't even know who the hell designed your application, but really, son, that is not going mm-hmm. to come through. Nope. Um, and then um, they said offer support beyond the check. In this case, they mean the money. Um, responsive, adaptive, non-monetary support. Yes, but as long as it's good support, like, yeah. don't give me $10,000 to my organization, rather, and then say, yes, and now you need to, to participate in weekly nonprofit lunch and learns, and we're not going to pay you to attend, and we're going to talk about how to build a budget, because, frankly, that's probably not the problem. Um, no. But yet, I applaud this step. I applaud it, and I think it could have some value. Um I'm not sure where their funding is coming from, and I'm not saying that in a bad way. I'm just saying, hmm. It makes sense, though, that if someone that whose whose opinion I respect, Voulet, I may not agree with everything he says, but I really agree with his approach to things. I don't think that he would recommend something that was sus, but I'm just saying um, I haven't gone in and said, who's your funder? Who's doing this? No. Um what I will say is um, that they they do have a speakers bureau, but then if you dig into it, you find out that they really only want to talk to other funders and they'll charge anywhere from five hundred to fifteen thousand dollars to do so. That was the caveat I was talking about earlier. I was like, yeah. oh really? But then I thought, okay, fine. Then maybe there's a way to get um a. a council of foundations in your area or community foundation maybe this is something that they want to explore maybe that's where you can take a step to make a difference you can't control all of the things but you can pass on information and make recommendations um the other caveat here is they don't seem to include any nonprofits or communities served by nonprofits in their planning training or outreach so hmm but um, at least they are hitting the issues that have been identified over and over again mm-hmm. um, as obstacles um, to true equity in um, fundraising and grant making. Yep. Well, and I love the advice of offering support beyond the check. Um, I had a client just recently applied to a funder that um, one of like their giving area had to do with education. Sure. Um, And it was, this was a preschool program that we applied for. And when they got their denial letter, basically the funder said, Hey, we are specifically this year, you know, in the future focusing on K through 12 education. So even though we used to fund preschool, we're not anymore, which is, you know, okay, fine. That's their prerogative. So changes, but 
one of the things we worked with a client going to say, okay, great, but email them back and say, hey, you know, appreciate the good work you're doing in the education space. Do you know of any funders, since you know who we are now, you've read our application, do you know of any funders who would give to preschool? And they were like, well, why would we waste time to do that? And we're like, well, because hopefully funders talk to other funders. You this client that's new and doesn't know. Hopefully funders know other funders and they can give us some leads and maybe some contacts with agencies that we haven't thought of yet, right? So, of course, we haven't heard back from the funder yet. We'll see if they actually You may respond. or may not, yeah. But I'm like, but we're going to ask. And I, I hope they. That's a, that's a great way to offer support. Like, hey, you weren't a fit for us, but here's five other organizations we know about that because now we've read your proposal and we think you'd be a good match because you know funders talk to one another because cause like grant writers talk to one another, right? So anyway, I do hope more organizations start doing these lovely things. Um, why don't we go back a few years, Kimberly? You want to go back in time? <laughs> Um, we had the opportunity to interview Edgar Villanueva. He guested on our podcast, I think also in season two. Mm -hmm. Um, and he was talking with us about the basic inequities baked into philanthropy in the U S through his book, decolonizing wealth, which is now in its second edition. And we both highly recommend it. You've heard me say before, nonfiction is normally not my jam, but I devoured that book and highly recommend it. Um, over the past two to three years, the Decolonizing Wealth Project has grown to include a monthly grant program for BIPOC-led organizations, and that's specifically for unrestricted general operating funds. Music to my ears. Mm -hmm. um, so if you want to go check out decolonizingwealth.com, um, on their website, look under Liberated Capital to find out more information about the great work being done by this organization. And um, again, that was something that stemmed from the book that he wrote that's now in its second edition. And um, I, we both recommend that. But I also like to sort of follow up and see, well, what's come out of that book or that series of lectures or whatever uh, might have been happening. And if you're listening to this and going, well, I don't raise funds or seek grants for a BIPOC-led organization, so this doesn't pertain to me. And maybe you've like sort of, yeah, okay, you've checked it off, or maybe you sort of mentally uh, or physically crossed your arms and said, yeah, it's not for me. I'm good. Let's move on. Um, first of all, if you're driving, please uncross your arms and put them on the steering wheel because safety. safety. Um, but also, I want to just stop you there and think, Sure, maybe this information is not a good fit for you. Right now, it is not a good fit for me. But I know organizations that work with other organizations that could benefit from it. And so there's a little step if you're wondering, well, what can I do? These are intractable problems. How can I make a difference? Hey, hey, why don't you go on this website and share this monthly grant program? Is it going to end world hunger? No. Will you be doing something to get information out in the hands of the people who can who who could possibly benefit from it and the and the communities they serve? Yeah. So that's an action, right? That's mm -hmm. not in action. That's an action. And I think that um, I think it can be overwhelming to think, well, what can we do? How can we make a difference? We're just giving you options for steps where you can make a difference because I think it's on us to sort of find our way through things and think of things and do them. And some will work and some will not. 
but it's an action. Um, if you, what if this would became a part of a regular practice? If you get, if you're a member of GPA, they send out those emails. I scan them. Um, it's their weekly newsletter, mm-hmm. I think. And then they have the, the grants updates that may be in conjunction with um, Grant Station. Yes. Excuse me. But anyway, so I'll always scan through those because I'm looking for stuff for my clients because my. That's uh, our job. And, yeah. um, but. What if they're, but I've also peeled out things before and emailed them to other people that I know who are working at different organizations who may not get that particular email or who may not um, answer the emails or even look at emails from people they don't know. Because if you're like most of us, your inbox is stacked from here to eternity. But it's, it's just like a regular thing. It's like, no, that's not for me. But oh, I know so and so who's on the board of this. Um, no kill shelter, and here's something that might work. It's, I mean, what if you even did that once a month? What if you just posted it on Facebook? Hey, there's this thing, you know, or hey, you're on Twitter. Hey, there's this fellowship for uh, people of color and philanthropy, and just put it out there. I mean, it's easy to fall into the well, posting is the same as action. I'm not saying that it definitely is, but it's definitely a step in the right direction. Mm-hmm. You're just making it a regular practice to get a few things out there. It's not hurting anybody. And I know that everybody's busy, but also as a busy person, I find it hard to believe that everybody's so busy that they never do things like get on their social media accounts because <laughs> so yeah, just what if you did that once a month, just getting on there and seeing what's happening. Yeah. Well, and I can say you could even take it a step further beyond yep. just referring things. Yep. How about partnering with some of what? the agencies? So do some sort of collaborative grant seeking, right? Um, especially working with smaller organizations that on their own may not be able to go after funding, right? Um, I've mentioned before, uh, talked about... Um, the Lionheart School, which was an organization that we were able to use as a fiscal agent, actually, mm-hmm. to apply for grant funds. But we were also able to do some grants with them um, because they were, they were a small little nonprofit, whereas we were a larger city. So there were opportunities where we were able to help with some collaborative grants for them because they couldn't go after them on their own, right? So there, there are ways that you can, if, you, if you're a larger organization with a lot more resources, you could potentially help some of these smaller organizations in your community um, go after funding that they maybe you wouldn't otherwise have the bandwidth to do, right? Um, Another thing is, how about understanding your needs and opportunities and stepping back from the ones that are no longer good fits that you're applying for? I know. this Oh, no! This goes back to that thing I was saying before Mm -hmm. about funding, you know, just... Don't go for grants that would be better for another organization that maybe needs it more than you are. And those organizations, you know who you are. There are organizations that do not struggle to meet their budget. They do not struggle to make ends meet because they are a very healthy organization between grants and fundraising and whatever else, however else they get their funding, right? So just because you are eligible doesn't mean you should be applying, right? Um, We've already talked about some cooperative grant seeking as part of our mm-hmm. sustainability mm-hmm. episode that we did recently, but it really is an important topic because it it runs counter to what we've all learned as grant seekers and fundraisers, right? What's embedded in our culture is focus on your organization, bring in all the money, do it, do it, do it. 
you're competing against everyone else that's out there. But if we go back to the thinking that we're not just helping our organization, we are trying to benefit our community at large. And sometimes the best way to benefit the community at large is to let other organizations go for the grants that are perfectly suited for the work that they're doing. And that's just stepping out of the way. So we're not competing with them, you know, so collaborating may be the answer or it may be stepping out of the way. Right. Um, so. And a, a third way even on that is because some of you might be as, as I, as I was, and I was for more than 20 years as uh, as an employee, you may have to hit a certain dollar amount bucket each year, and you mm-hmm. may not always have the last say on who, what, what major donors you ask for money or what major foundations you go to. But maybe there is a third way as well where there could be like some sort of, um, and I, I know I've mentioned this before, uh, but in my work at the food bank, we worked um, on it to secure... Um, it, I, a million or a million five grant from the Coca-Cola Foundation that functioned a lot as pass-through funding mm-hmm. for, um, oh, I'm sorry, no, no, it was it was from the Woodruff Foundation. The Coca-Cola thing was another thing, but it doesn't matter. The point is that the, the food bank served as a pass-through because the smaller agencies that also needed new coolers, new trucks, and other sorts of capital things, they couldn't go to the Woodruff Family Foundation because that traditionally they support, which is on their website, larger nonprofits. Yeah. So is was there there was a way for us to go to them to explain, here it is, here are our partners. We'd like to do an overall capacity building that's going to help um, decrease um, hunger across North Georgia by building capacity of those who provide it. And so we were able to do that. Then there was there were there was um, a cost line. There was a line item on the budget for the admin work that the food bank would do to mm-hmm. you know that would pay for staff time to do this project. But most the vast majority of it was passed through, passed through in grant cycles to these other foundations. So that's a third way. Yeah. Um, and um I just, I think, just think, so then it becomes, it doesn't become you having to tell your boss, yeah, um, it's just the right thing to do not to ask for $1,500 from this Walmart or this family foundation because we're a $35 million organization. And for us, that's not really the best fit. It's better, maybe a better way would be, you know, what if we package this and, and did a capacity building and included our partners in it and then... You know, if you're looking at your revenue buckets, you've got to fill. Well, then you filled it up, but you filled it up in a different way. Mm-hmm. Um, and sharing um, knowledge is also a powerful step. If you're like, oh, I just can't do that. That's okay. That's fine. That's cool. That's cool. We got something else for you. Um, sharing knowledge can be a, a powerful step you can take, but it doesn't have to be a multi-year, multi-million dollar grant that you've spearheaded and, and gotten everybody to do, even though. How cool would that be? Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't have to be a formal presentation, a book, a podcast, or a billboard, although all of them, nice ideas. Um, you can share information. You just by yourself, you don't need to be on a task force. You don't need to um, schedule a Zoom call. You can do that in your pajamas if you want. And this is sharing a review of a funder on grantadvisor.org. 
We've mentioned it several times. We're going to keep mentioning it because it's a great place to learn. It's actually a great place to help out your prospect research. It's Mm -hmm. a great place to share information in a safe, respectful space. And it's free. And it's, it's sort of run by grant and fundraising professionals for grant and fundraising professionals. Um, as of the time of this recording, there were 2,859 reviews of 859 funders. So, Woo-hoo. I mean, that's worth checking out. Are they all uh-huh. going to be for you? No. Are you going to learn some things? Uh-huh. Can you maybe share some things with other people if, that, if it might fit their organization? Yeah. Could you share the link to their website? Uh Uh-huh. There are all these things that you can do to sort of, we can join our voices in this conversation um, so that it's not always a rant. Although aren't those fun? After a while, they're really not. And it's kind of counterproductive. Yep. Um, And if you need a feel-good moment, that change actually is possible. Um, Speaking of Grand Advisor, go check out their Mm -hmm. Fix the Form, and that's the hashtag Fix the Form. Check out that tab on their website. They reported on how 130 foundations actually fix their forms, right? So they did this big campaign um, over the past year or two um, asking people to kind of like let us know what are the forms that are not working for you and why are there issues and Based on that information, 130 foundations fix their forms, saving a lot of time and energy for us um, applicants. Um, and you can also help decide their next steps. So what's the next thing Fix the Forms going to work on? By completing the survey that's about a third of the way down the Fix the Form webpage. Um, so go there, take a few minutes, fill out their sur- survey. Um, and I'd be remiss if I didn't say a lot of this work, this is not the the work of like organizations that have tons of staff and millions of dollars. Fix the form was because two ladies uh-huh. decided we're going to make this happen. And they volunteered. I can't even imagine how many countless hours they have put into this. And forgive me if I've mispronounced your name, but Carrie Anastad and Laura Solomons. Um, are the two ladies behind Fix the Form. And I just... And Carrie was, Carrie was on our podcast either in season three, maybe? Two or three, I think, yeah. Yep. So um, we've talked about... She's involved with Grand Advisor. Um, yes, definitely. So, um, But those two ladies, you know, they, they saw a problem and saw, thought, you know what, we're going to make this happen. And through social media, they did just that. So bravo. And again, adding to, you know, make it, Eight, make it um, 2,900 reviews. You know, it's just yeah. the, more, the more we can add in. So I guess the whole point, one of the points of this is to just, is to present some reasonable building blocks, some reasonable steps for, pe- for, for anybody to take, um, just about anyone, um, to, to sort of further this idea without waiting for someone to tell you what to do. You may say, well, you told us what to do. And I'm like, fair. But it's also a way of getting information out to people and just giving ideas. Sometimes, again, it can feel like the problem is just too, too big. And what can I possibly do that'll make a difference? You know, you start where you are, start where you are and um, make the changes because the cost of not doing anything is not just um, forms will continue to be 
to, to, to be bad and, and portals and this and that. It's also going to take a toll on your own health, no matter who you are, no matter what you lead, because it's, there's some great, great ways to try to mitigate the effects of burnout, particularly in the fundraising and grant seeking profession. And we've had wonderful guests on our podcast who specialize in that, um, and can get you through that. But all the self-care in the world is not going to help it it will not necessarily prevent it from happening again, unless there's also systemic change. So I've just, you know, things just kind of need to coexist. And it's something that we're always thinking about on this podcast, you know, how we can learn and grow and pretty much with every episode, even if I'm not interviewing, um, you know, with Amanda, we're not interviewing someone. I always learn something. I learned something from Amanda. I learned something from the research that she's done. Um, and we want to keep doing that. And we also just want to keep holding up the great work that people are doing who may not have national platforms, but are doing great work where they mm-hmm. are. And we would love to hear from you. If you are doing that work or you know someone, just send us an email at fundraisingheyday at gmail.com. That's H-A-Y-D-A-Y. And um, just let us know either about what you're doing or what you'd like to learn more about. Absolutely. Um, And, you know, we would also love to hear from you through our social media platforms. We're on Twitter. Um, at Funding Heyday is our handle. Um, we have a Facebook group um, for the Fundraising Heyday community. Also have a page on LinkedIn. So lots of different ways you can reach out to us and let us know about the organizations that are doing some great things. Let us know about the work you're doing um, to help with the current inequity in grant situation that we've still got going on that we're trying so hard to fix these days. Thank you for listening. Your continued support is the reason we are back for Season 5. Please follow and leave a review of Fundraising Heyday on Apple Podcasts or share about us on Spotify. Um, Share the show with your friends. This helps grant pros and fundraising pros like you find us and helps us find them. Thank you again to our Season 5 sponsor, D.H. Leonard Consulting and Grant Writing Services. We so appreciate their support in making grants less stressful. Visit their website at dhleonardconsulting.com to download their latest free resources today. We're so honored you chose to spend time with us today and hope you tune in for our next episode in two weeks. We're going to talk about when grant writing is just one part of what you do because grants is not in your title. Um, It's just the other duties is assigned. In fact, We're going to talk with Mayor Joy Day about her grant writing lessons learned. Some helpful pointers for grant teams and consultants alike. And if there's something familiar about her last name, you can tune in and find what that's all about. So see you soon, friends. Bye. Bye. Bye.